0: Well, last week we, we talked about this prophecy that we're going to look at again today. Uh, if, and if, if you're not really familiar with maybe the Bible or, or the word prophecy, maybe your, your understanding of that comes from um, TBS or something like that. Uh, prophecy in the Bible was where God spoke through individuals and, and oftentimes he would bring to mind things that he had already said and he wanted to address something to the people of Israel and so he brought the prophet to bring about conviction or, or to direct them and sometimes it was a promise that would come about later. And so we see in the book of Isaiah that, that Isaiah speaks on behalf of God and, and he gives these, these prophecies and many of which are promises that, that are messianic. They are promises that God was making about this individual who was gonna come and rule and reign over really all of the world in the same way that that King David had ruled when he did so well. And so the people of Israel were waiting for a messianic king, and that word Messiah means anointed one or chosen one. So they were waiting for a chosen one, and one of the reasons they had been waiting for a chosen one was because of these prophecies. And so we talked about that a little bit last week, and we're going to continue with this prophecy, this messianic prophecy that looked ahead to Jesus Christ. Because although we're on the other side of things, the the words of Isaiah give us an idea of of what the ministry and and the purpose of Jesus' life and work was. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading from Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a new day to gather together and worship. And thank you for the the opportunity and the privilege to meet with brothers and sisters without fear of of, uh, retribution or persecution, but that we can come freely and happily. Thank you for the gift of this word and the illumination of your spirit who teaches and applies these truths to our hearts and makes us more like your son. Today we come to you, Father, knowing that we have need and that apart from Christ, we are in darkness and in need of your light. We have sorrows and sadness and long for joy And we are pressed and weighed down, longing to walk in the fullness of freedom. Show us Jesus, God. Show us your Son, and show us his salvation, the light, the joy, and freedom that comes through him. Give us life, and give us a holy passion to follow Jesus. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So this was a long passage, and you guys did beautifully, thank you. You did a great job, Uh, and I did a good job. Normally, there's, there's a moment I did. Whenever you're up here, this is related to nothing except for public speaking, but whenever you're up here, you have these two tracks. You have the track of what you're saying and your own personal commentary on what you're saying, and sometimes the tracks do this. And you guys know when that happens because bad things happen. I say something I shouldn't or, I, you know. But sometimes you have these moments where you're saying things and your, your commentary track does this. And then, and there were a couple moments where I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Okay, we made it through. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you can be sure that salvation has come through Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Isaiah wants to speak to us today, is that you can be sure that salvation that light and life and hope and joy has come through this, this unique, counterintuitive reality that is Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm going to talk about three things. I want to talk about the nature of our salvation Right? What, is, what does that even mean? What does salvation mean for us? If you're, if you're new, maybe you, know, you think of salvation in terms of uh, experiencing uh, the, the greatest version of who you are. The world has a lot of ideas when it comes to what, what purpose, fulfillment, salvation looks like. But when the Bible talks about, well, we're going to talk about what the Bible thinks of when it thinks of salvation. So we're going to talk about the nature of salvation. We're going to talk about the source of that salvation And then we're going to talk about um, the certainty of that salvation. The nature, the source, and the certainty of our salvation. If we look at verses 2 through uh, 4, we get an idea of of the situation that the Israelites had found themselves in. Now, I said last week, and we're not going to talk about this a whole bunch, but they, they were experiencing persecution and oppression. God was allowing and really sending in a foreign nation to judge the people of Israel, and because of that, the Assyrians were coming in, and, and they were going to take over, take over the land, and actually take the people of Israel into captivity. You know, captivity is this picture that we see so often in the Old Testament, well, from, from all the way to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, all the way through the prophets, captivity, where the people of God, often because of their own sinfulness, are taken captive as a result. And it's a picture for us because although we don't find ourselves living in the Middle East uh, under Assyrian rule, we do find ourselves, apart from Christ, in captivity to sin. And so we see that there's a nature of this salvation that he's going to lay out. In verse 2 it says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Do you live in darkness? Is your life dark at times? The, the reality of, of darkness in the world is not just, it's not just a matter of, well, there are good days and there are bad days. And when it gets to be uh, darker earlier than in, the, in the day, in the winter times, um, it, I, I, feel, I feel upset or sad. It's not a natural thing. Darkness as it's expressed in in Isaiah, and darkness in your life, the the overwhelming sense of of dread, of of anxiety, of sadness, of depression, this is not natural. And by that I mean it is not part of God's created order where he said, it is good. While while God intended, while Jesus, or or the Father intended to create the world with, with rhythms of life, daytime and nighttime, the original design... Was intended to be one of, of rest and activity, not one of dread. Darkness, because of our sin, begins to represent something different. For for the Israelites, darkness was very real. They, they had no hope. They were, they were separated from their, their homeland, from the promised land. They were under oppression. They, they were treated as slaves. They were, they were beaten, they were killed. It was a dark time. And for many of us, Christmas time can be a, a dark time. It, it accentuates the reality of, of family dynamics that, that we can sometimes um, ignore. You know, allow the busyness of work and allow the, the busyness of, of being here uh, distract us from the pain that we feel because of what has happened to us as children, or, or what has happened because of relational rifts in our families, or what has happened because of loss. But we live in darkness, and we live in darkness because we are sinners, and we talked about that last week and and went into great depth to to just make the point that you and I are not as good as we think we are. You guys are all beautiful and handsome and wonderful, but you're not as good as you think you are, and because of that, we need help. We dwell in darkness. We, We wrestle with sin. We find this, this inclination in our hearts to do what we know to be wrong. We see it in, in children. There's it's, it, there's an uncanny ability for, for toddlers to find outlets. Why is that? There's a lot of things at that level, but I want to put my finger in that one thing. Especially when you say no. There's darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes the situation for those who don't have Faith in Jesus Christ for all of us apart from Christ is being blind. We don't see the world as it really is. The world is, is blind. Blind to spiritual realities. Blind to God. Blind to his glory. It's not as though we actually walk around without eyes or that we can't see, but when we think about the truths of scripture, when we think about Jesus Christ, when we think about God creating everything, when when you're driving down seven and you're looking at, at this wonderful landscape, you're not thinking about how glorious and amazing God is, because our, our senses have been dulled to the glory of God. We're in darkness. We need the light of God to show us how great God is. We need the light of God to show us our need, and we need the light of God to show us what reality truly is. He doesn't just stop there. He says, they've seen a light. Salvation is, is light dawning, but it's not just that. It's, it's joy coming. You have multiplied the nation and you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at, at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoils. He says, you've brought joy, God. So in this prophecy, he says, God, you've established joy, and, and he says that you've, you've multiplied the nation. What does it look like to multiply a nation? Well, this promise is that, that ultimately the Gentiles will be brought into the nation of God. Amen. So in the New Testament, when we think about the, the nation, the people of God, the kingdom of God, it's not relegated just to this 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 people group that that God had established through Abraham, but now it expands through nations. God's embraced us. And I look around into the room, and most of us should be thankful that God has embraced the Gentiles. I'm pretty sure that Korea was not among the people of God in this time. I am thankful that my mom is included among the Gentiles, that he has multiplied the nations. And he gives other pictures, as with joy at the harvest... You know, uh, one of the, the seasons that I feel like has really gotten some, some hype as of late is the fall. And, and we live out further west, and there, there's basically, it's cows and it's, um, it's wheat. Or no, corn. It was corn this year. Corn and soybeans, as it turns out. Um, and, and there was harvest time. And, and there were all these pumpkin patches and, and all these opportunities to celebrate and eat kettle corn and do fun things. And there's just this sense of buzz around harvest time. Now, for us, it's largely consumeristic, and we're like, oh, this is fine, you know. But for, for these people, they, this is an agricultural society. They, they understood what that meant, that, that this was hope, and it was life, and it was provision. And he says, you've brought joy as, as with the joy at the harvest. And he says, uh, as when they're glad when they dis- divide the spoils. When you go to war, and then you win, and, and you get to take all of the things that, that you have won, dividing the spo- spoils. He's brought joy. You see, there's no joy where there is no salvation. And and I feel like most of us have felt that. There's no joy where there is salvation. Have you ever felt happy and anxious at the same time? Because you knew that your happiness was hung on a hook that could fall at any moment. You know, I I love those those command hooks. But if you don't do it right, you have this awkward thing where you put something on there and you turn around and boom. And it just fell off the wall. Like that's that's our happiness. That's that's circumstantial happiness. Is uh, this? I'm happy that I got a raise, but I could lose my job at any moment. Inflation is crazy. What's going to happen? And I'm I'm glad we're not having fights, but we haven't really reconciled, and, and, and I haven't dealt with the sin in my own life that that would bring about real relationship. And our happiness hangs on a hook that is uncertain. There is no joy where there is no salvation. With the advent of Jesus, when Jesus comes, God changes our circumstances and he, he reminds us of what we have as eternal circumstances. You know, sometimes people make huge distinctions between happiness and joy, but I think the main difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is based on temporal circumstances. Joy is based on eternal circumstances. The goodness of God, the, the joy that you and I experience is that Whatever happens here and now, one day you and I, if we are in Christ, will look at Jesus and he will look at us and smile. He won't look at us and say terrible things and, and, and bring about judgment, but he will look at us and embrace us. You know, I was, I was struck by this thought a, a while back that, that heaven will be interesting Sometimes we think of heaven and we're like, okay, we'll die and then we'll be with Jesus and it'll be like this moment where um, you, know, you come to church and, and you guys you shake my hand as we walk out and that's a nice moment. I'm thankful for it. You're thankful for it. But you wouldn't want that to go on for eternity, right? But we think of heaven like that. We're like, okay, I'm going to be happy to shake Jesus' hand, but then What? But God says he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth and we're going to have existence and he, he's going to give us work to do, things to do. What that looks like, I don't know. You know, if, if you do information security now, I don't think that there will be a need for information security in heaven. Hopefully. I, I don't know what that looks like. You know, if you swing a hammer, maybe there's going to be stuff to swing a hammer with. You know, event planning, maybe. I don't know what it will look like, but it will be interesting and, and the, the wonder of joy is that we get to look forward and dream about what it will be like to worship God and to live as the, the, the realest versions of who we are in the presence of our God and Savior. He says that there will be joy. Why is there going to be joy? He talks about freedom. For the yoke of his burden and the, the staff of his shoulder and the, the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day of Midian. A yoke is this, this piece of wood that you put around an animal and, and then you, you attach some sort of uh, farm implements to it, and that that animal basically drags it right it's it's a pre mechanical tractor, but the problem is I mean you put it on people or, or treat people as 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 workers to be pulling things and and it becomes very oppressive it's a it's an image of oppression the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor these are pictures of of oppression and and the the Assyrians had brought the Israelites under oppression. They would bring the nation of Israel and Judah under oppression. And, and in much the same way, we find ourselves apart from Christ under the oppression of the enemy. You might say to yourself, I'm not under, you know, the Pharisees thought to themselves, I'm I'm a son of Abraham. I'm not a I'm not under the authority of Satan. I'm not under oppression. But when Jesus looked at him, he says, You do and act like your father, and he's a liar. And Again, I love you guys, but apart from Christ, the word of God says that you and I, we are children of wrath, that we live under the oppression and under the kingdom of of God's enemy, Satan. There's not three kingdoms. It's not the kingdom of Satan, the place where we we live, this kind of demilitarized zone where we're kind of, there's no warfare and there's no kingdom, and then God's kingdom. There's two kingdoms, not one, two. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's enemy. And if you don't live in the kingdom of God, you live in the kingdom of God's enemy and you are not the king. We are under oppression. Sometimes that oppression looks really pleasant. It looks like a successful job that's paying all your bills so you don't have to trust in God at all. It looks like getting all that you want and having all your your desires being met in order that you may be numbed to the fact that you have a spiritual desire. A spiritual need. We are under oppression and, and Isaiah says that God breaks that oppression. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, every boot of, trampling, of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Why would you burn the boots and the clothes of soldiers? Like, if, if we were a nation, right, the, the U.S. Is, has largely been very kind of military and uh, militaristically uh, powerful. If we were to go and, and, and just get rid of all of the, uh, your, your, your GI wear, what would be the only reason we would do that except that we were absolutely certain that there'd be no need for it? Absolutely certain that we had absolute victory over any of our enemies. He doesn't just say we're going to take the the axes and the arrows and, and the implements of war and we're going to destroy them. No, he says you're not even going to need uniforms because I'm going to be so victorious. This is the nature of our salvation. It's light shining in darkness. It's joy instead of sorrow, and it's freedom from our oppression. The difference is that Rather than being freed from oppression against an enemy outside, we're freed from the oppression that comes as a result of our own indwelling sin, yeah. at work and in concert with the enemy and the world. You and I, we need freedom from oppression. That's the nature. He goes on, and that is the nature of salvation. So where, where does this come from? That, that's the question, right? If this is something that you and I need, where do we get it? You know, is this, do we go to Trader Joe's? Do we go to Whole Foods? Can we get it at Food Lion? Food Lion. I think food lion in this case. It's humble. Verse six, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. I, I, I wonder what it was like to hear this, this uh, prophecy. You know, God's gonna crush your enemies. He's gonna bring joy. He's gonna bring provision. He's gonna make you guys victorious. Awesome. Where are the tanks and lasers? He says, for to us a child is born. I, I love children. Um, I love babies. I loved our first baby. I loved holding him. He was tiny and wiggly and, and squirmy and, and a little slimy. Um, and, and he couldn't do a whole lot except for cry and look at me. And that was awesome. But when I looked at him, I didn't think, you know what I need to do is make this guy in charge of our nation. It never crossed my mind to think. You know what? Presidential elections are coming up. I should nominate my son, right? Because shortly thereafter, he he pooped in his pants. (laughs) It's not the kind of leadership that you really want. Is someone who can't control their own body? And yet here we see God saying, "For us, to us, a child is born." To us, a son is given. And, and you, got, you, you have to put yourself, we, we hear that and we're like, oh, Christmas time. But, but this, is, this is shocking information. It's shocking information. If I were to think of nominating someone to be king as though you could nominate kings, I can assure you it would not be a newborn. But, but the, the, the good news for us is that, and this is good news, is that God uses the foolishness of the world to shame the wise. Right. You and I, we come up with these amazing plans, you know, we've got our Gantt charts and our, our, our uh, processes, and we've got, you know, these, these, uh, these milestone meetings, we're like, this is going to work, and then day three happens and everything explodes, and you realize my plan meant nothing. It mean, meant less than nothing, because I can't even control my team. I can't make these people do their job, I can't make these people do this, their job, and I can't see the future. The funny thing is, God can. God is establishing the future so he can use whatever means he wants to. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do, guys? I'm going to show you how awesome I am by, by using a baby to destroy all your enemies. So that none of the people involved can say, I did it. He talks about using the foolishness of preaching to bring about salvation. God doesn't come in with an army and say, you better submit or you'll die. He says, I want you guys to talk about this guy who died on a cross and rose again. And that's going to be the way that I'm going to bring in the kingdom of God. No human would write a story of a kingdom being established through a humble birth, a mundane blue-collar life of 30 years and three years of ministry, and then a, and a, a criminal's death. I mean, take, take Jesus out of that situation. You know, there's this guy that I want to tell you about. Oh, tell me about him. Well, he, he, he was born in this small town, you know, one, one uh, traffic light. Uh, he lived for 30, 30 years kind of doing some carpentry work, and um, then he had this weird stint for three years where he hung out with a bunch of guys, and he traveled around, and he, he, was, he was kind of a, like a public speaker, and, uh, and, and then they murdered him. Or, well, they didn't murder, he, he died, I'm not sure what the deal was, but he died, and he was treated like a criminal, like, kind of like a murderer, I mean, but I don't know what, what happened, and then he rose again, right? This is a weird story. When you begin to reflect on it and take all the religious kind of trappings away, the the, the gospel is a weird story, and it's not one that you and I would necessarily write once upon a time and and have a best-selling children's story. It's a strange story. God uses the foolishness of the world to shame the wise. To us, a child is born, but he's not just an ordinary child. He says, to us, a son is given. Now, it's interesting in, in... you, you might have already heard this before but but it's interesting that he says that a child is born, but a son is not born but given. A son had been given, which means that he had been prior to this moment. You see, Jesus was not created when when Mary gave birth to him or when Mary you know conceived him he was not made in that moment, but God had given his sons. The the Holy Spirit, somehow, I don't know the science behind it. We're not going to know the science behind it. God had established the Son who became incarnate. There was already an idea of this concept of of a Messiah who would be the Son of God, and and we see it in Psalm chapter 2. It says this in verse 7. It says, uh, I will tell of the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, And and it's, there's this sense, and this is a messianic psalm, so there's a sense already in Psalm 2 that that God was going to send a Messiah, but that Messiah was not just going to be an awesome human, he was not just going to be a good guy, he would be in some respects the Son of God. And when we skip ahead to the New Testament, we can kind of skip and, and recognize that Jesus, is God. He is the son of God who is God. You know, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is a son of God and he is a child. And then he begins to lay out the fact that the government shall be on his shoulders. Again, this child is going to have the government on his shoulders. I mean, it's shocking, counterintuitive. And he goes and he gives, them, gives us these four amazing names. He says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this moment, God gives us an, an idea of, of who our Savior is. He gives us an idea, okay, God's going to bring in light. He's going to bring in joy. He's going to bring in freedom. How is it going to happen? What is this Savior going to look like? And he says he's going to be a wonderful counselor. The two words there are wonder. In the original language, it has this sense of being a wonder of a counselor. Like, not just wonderful in, in the, the simple adjectival form, wonderful, but he's going to be a wonder of a counselor. And that means that he's not just a wonderful counselor, but he is a wonder He's one, he's one who, who will need to be a wonder. He's going to he need to be amazing. He's going to need to be awesome if he's going to rule in, in the kingdom of David forever. Right? We need a good president. And I'm not making any comments about presidents, but we need a good president to rule our nation for four years or, or to execute his job. I don't know if we'd call it rulership. Anyways, um, for four years. How much more would he need to be a wonder if... If It's forever. He's, he's a wonder. But not only that, he's wonderful in his counsel. And he, he's the kind of person who doesn't need a counselor. You know, for me, I've got a lot of people who speak into my life. And I still make tons of mistakes. It's kind of sad. Um, I've, got, I've got pastors who speak to me, family members who speak to me give me wisdom, to direct my life, and I, have, and I value that because I need those perspectives. And, and we need those perspectives, those perspectives of others because we don't have all the information. We don't have all the ability to, to see what, what's going to come down the pike. We don't have all the wisdom of life. But Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's one who doesn't even need another counselor. In, in Romans chapter 11, talking about God, it says that who has given him advice? Peter's given Jesus advice, but Peter's advice is almost always terrible. <laughs> when you give advice and, and, and someone says to you, you're acting like Satan, you haven't done a good job. You haven't done a good job. Do you realize how foolish we are to try and live our lives without this wonderful counselor. We do it all the time. H- how should I live my life? I wish the teenagers were in the room. How should, how, should my, how should I set up my priorities? You know, I've got my family, I've got my job, I've got, I've got my recreational life. How should I set up these priorities? What should be most important in my life? How, sh- how should I handle money? You know, how much should I spend? Should I give money to the church? Should I, should I save? How should I relate to people? How do I forgive? And, and so often we're willing to l- listen to a lot of things and, and kind of put them all on the same shelf with Jesus. You know, Barnes and Noble, self-help, tell me what to do. And, and I'll, I'll read the Bible too. But but we have a wonderful counselor. What else? We have a mighty God. This, this, promise, this promise of salvation is not just one of a powerful person who's going to come and rule, but he's a mighty God. And there have been uh, commentators who kind of tried to go around this, maybe say, you know, he's a, he's a really powerful hero. But, but the language really means that he is God. He's divine. This child, this son, was more than just the result of a human union. God was intervening to save us. And that's an encouragement to me because I've met really awesome humans who were still human. Every really awesome human that you've read about who's done amazing things in the past, you know what? They're, they're dead. You know, I, I, I like reading, um, there's this really helpful guy named Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book about contentment um, that I read part of. <laughs> and then I was discontent and moved on to other things. <laughs> No, it's a good book. I don't know. Anyways, um, really helpful. And, and I mean, just he goes deep. You know, he, he takes this one little verse and just literally 150 pages on a verse. And you think that my sermons are long. Just be glad you're not under Puritan. Um, anyways, uh, but he's really smart. And he's also dead. Not a mighty God. You know, Lincoln, an amazing, an amazing president in a, in a very challenging time carried out a great deal of wisdom to, to navigate the waters of the nation. And, and you know what? He, he's dead. We commemorate him, but he is not with us. Jesus is a mighty God, and he is not dead. He goes on and he says this. He's, he's an everlasting father. One commentator paraphrased it this way. One who is eternally a father to his people. Right? We look at Jesus when we say, well, no, Jesus is the son, guys. Why would you call him a father? Well, the language there is one of care, of protection, of, of a ruler caring for his, his people. You know, you know, Think of knights and, 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 and vassals and, and feudal systems where, where you had the peasants and the peasants did stuff and you had the knights who would protect them and care for them. That's, that's a little bit like what's going on here. He's a father. He cares for his people. He's fatherly in his care. And in this moment, I would ask: as we as we think about Advent, as we think about Christmas time, do you do you need a father? Do you find yourself in need of that kind of compassion and care? For some of us, Christmas time highlights the lack in our lives. I said that earlier. Some of your fathers were absent, and some of your fathers were effectively absent, and all of our fathers were sinners in need of grace. And in many cases, they were just making it up as they went. (laughs) They're just doing their best, which wasn't always great. In this moment, we are reminded that God sent Jesus to show us the Father. So much so that in John chapter 14, that Jesus is making some comments about his ministry, what's going to happen. I'm just going to read this to you. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house... There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And he's saying, I'm going to go, guys, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. and I'm coming back. And you will know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas is like, um, we don't have Google Maps and you have not given us an address. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No no one's going to come to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because, Thomas, you have seen me. Philip still doesn't get it, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's going to be enough for us. Okay, great. Show us the Father. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. When you look at Jesus, you get to see the Father. When you see the love of Jesus, you get to receive the love of the Father. When, when Jesus says to you, come to me, are you tired? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? When he says, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry because I've overcome the world, that's not just Jesus speaking, but that's Jesus expressing the heart of the Father. I want to give you rest. I want to give you peace. I want to give you comfort. Jesus is our everlasting Father. Finally, he's the Prince of Peace. He's one who will establish his kingdom through peace and not war. He's one who will reign in a state of peace. This isn't just a, a stalemate. This is not just a uh, a moment of, of tense inactivity between nations. This is one's this is a, a rulership where the ruler is not threatened by being usurped. There's no there's no concern. On, on this prince's part. He's not worried. He's not looking over his shoulder. He's not trying to do things cloak and dagger to make sure his enemies don't, don't try to take over. This is the one who deals with the ultimate source of animosity between God and man, namely our sin. There's, there's peace because God deals with the root issue. He doesn't just stop nations from, from being, he doesn't just disarm nations. He doesn't just disarm people. He doesn't just cage up his enemies. No, he says, I'm gonna deal with the root issue of sin. I'm gonna judge the nations and there will be no one who will want to stand against me. No one who will be able to stand against me. And this is, this is good news. Some of you, you came to church and you barely made it because you need Peace. There's turmoil at work. There's, there's blips of stress in your life that remind you of la- the lack of peace in your life. And, and I can tell you that the lack of peace is an expression of this issue that God wants to address. It's not like my stress and my problems at work are disconnected from sin and the fallen brokenness of the world. Right? The view of God and work and relationships prior to the fall was one of fruitfulness and joy. There was no sense of a lack of peace. There was no no turmoil, no problems. There may have been work to do, but it was fruitful work. But now we find ourselves struggling and striving. We need peace. Dissension at work, dissension at home, all these things are symptomatic of our root situation as sinners in a sin-filled world. And, and it's this core issue that the, the Prince of Peace came to address. Ultimate peace won't come through mindfulness. It's not going to come by you, being, uh, you breathing for 30 seconds because your Apple Watch told you to. That might be helpful and probably breathing is always a good thing. But that's not going to solve your deepest problems. It's not going to come through better routines and habits by, by, by destroying your morning before 5 a.m., it's not going to come by, by getting ahead at your job. It's not going to come through, through uh, being the nicest person, the kindest person. Only Jesus himself can bring peace because our issue, our root cause is not these, these surface level things. It's the fact of sin in our life. God is going to bring peace. How can we be certain of this as we close? He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. To put it in better English, there will be no end of the increase of his government and of peace. There's not going to be end. And there's not going to be end uh, as he rules on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold this kingdom with justice and righteousness. When? From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. We can be certain of this for two big reasons. First of all, we can be certain because... God has promised that this this is going to happen forever. This is a kingdom with no end. This is not this is not a four year uh, term, and then we have to just okay. Here we go. Let's let's hope we get the right guy in there. This is this is not a, a temporary. You know, oh man. Okay, well we got this regime, and they're doing pretty good. But but people are going to come in and maybe try to overtake this regime. No, it's forever. It's not even a lifetime appointment. This is not 30 years, 40, 50 years, and then we got to, okay, well, we got to get someone else in there. No, this is a forever thing. This is why joy comes, because it's forever. A forever reign of the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor, the King, who will bring light and joy and freedom, and he will not do so temporarily. Again, happiness is the hook that's going to fall off joy is is founded in eternity we can be certain because of the duration of the blessing and we can be certain because the sovereign Lord will do it um, I was I, I did information security and uh, some of you you are now fully asleep um, basically that that's uh it's like you know the movies where they're like hacking into the system except for it's nothing like that it's not cool it's not it's not visual. There's n- if you have a GUI, a, a graphical user interface, and like there's some things, and you have to like move things around, that's all junk. Junk. It was fun. Uh, but then you learn things like multi-factor authentication. And, and I think most of us at this point know that because you have a, a, a Gmail account, or you've got like two-step authentication, right? You've got your bank, and you used to be able to just write in your password, but now you have to do your password, and then they're like, well, I'm going to text you, and you're like, okay, don't forget the six, one, two, five, seven, four, six, switch over your app, and one, two, five, I forgot, crap, I'm going to go back, in. one, two, five, seven, I'm sorry, I said that, um, one, two, and you have to do the multi-level authentication, and, and, but, but the point of that is, is what, what experts call defense in depth. Right? You got this layer of protection, you got this layer of protection, you have this layer of protection, you have got this layer of protection, so that you can be sure, or at least more sure, that you're safe. That's, I promise this will matter. That's defense in depth. When, when we look at the, the promise that, that God gives us, I'm going to give you light, I'm going to give you uh, life, I'm going to give you freedom, he doesn't just say, I'm going to do that. Now, if God were to say, I'm going to do that, we can take him at his word because unlike us, he can't lie. So if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But listen to how he puts it. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not only will God do it, level one, not only will God who commits himself in covenant, right, that word Lord, the name is not just God, but Lord, which means he's the the God who commits himself to his people explicitly in covenant, not just will the, the God of covenant do it, and not, not only will the covenant God who commands angel armies, right, he, he says, the Lord, how does he put it, the, the Lord of hosts, not only is it the God who, who is the covenantal God, he's the God who's covenantal and he has angel armies, so as it relates to defeating his enemies, he can do it, but that same God will zealously pursue this outcome. Four levels of, of, of assurance that God is going to do this. You can trust this outcome. So as we think about Easter, or I keep saying Easter, as we think about Christmas, as we think about Advent, I want to encourage you that you have today a wonderful counselor who you can, you can go to and you can ask, how can, I, how can I live my life? What should I do? You have a mighty God. It's not just... He's not just a guy on stage like me, just, hey, let me tell you some things. No, he's a mighty God, and he's able to save. You have an everlasting father. Your your father here on earth, your family members here on earth, those people that you've looked up to have failed you, will fail you. Some intentionally, some unintentionally, they will fail you, but Jesus is an everlasting father, and we have a prince of peace. We have a Lord and, and a leader who's gonna rule and reign, and and there'll be no no one to challenge him. And as we embrace him, we can do so with joy. As we embrace him, we can do so knowing that there's freedom, and as we do so, we can embrace him knowing that he's gonna shine light in our lives. Have you trusted Jesus today? Have you trusted him in your day-to-day life? Have you trusted to obey him? Today's the day to, to, as we reflect on Advent, not just to be grateful that, hey, there's a guy who takes away my sins and I can live how I want. But no, I can live life embracing this amazing gift, this amazing salvation. Let's pray. God, I thank you that our hope is not in ourselves. Heavenly Father, I thank you that our hope is in you. Our hope isn't even in our ability to come to you but it's in in you who comes to us. I thank you that you sent a son, that you sent a child. You you used foolishness to shame the wise. I thank you God that, that you promise eternal life and salvation and you bring light and joy and freedom to those who trust in you. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day to do it. If you'd like to do that, just raise your hand Would love to pray with you. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We pray that as, as we continue on in this Advent season, that you would open our eyes to behold how awesome you are. In Jesus' name, amen.